we are going to move into our scripture reading. And the next, I think, five weeks, the topic is Jesus tweets. So it'll it, kind of interesting, very contemporary, very edgy, talking about Twitter. And we'll get into each week a little bit more about why on earth we would pick a topic like this and look at different passages from especially the life and teachings of Jesus. Um, so there's, there's Bibles nearby you, and if you are kind of newer to us and to our mission, in the worship guide there's a contact card that we would love if you would just help us know you better, know what, you, don't, you can choose what you give us in terms of contact information and how connected you want to be. But um, use that to connect more with our mission and to um, help us know something about you. There will be a chance to drop it in something later in the service. So our scripture reader... Um, do we have someone? Oh, Karen, thank you. Is Karen, and um, she'll tell you where to find the scripture in the passage. Today's reading is John 7, verses 37 through 52. It can be found on page 985 of the Bible's Next Year Seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's word. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this man is the prophet. Others said, He is the Messiah. Still others asked, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards replied. You mean he has deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted? Have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed in him? No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Look into it, and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. God of grace, as we come to this uh, room from all kinds of different places and experiences, all kinds of different beliefs, our journeys are all different. Lord, some of us come and we're confused about who you are and about what's going on in our lives. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know if you are real. Maybe you were more real in times past, and now you seem like a myth. And we wonder if we could ever be excited about you like we once were. Others of us come maybe with a great sorrow or a wound or a crisis that has taken over our whole whole being, really, and we just think about this this one issue. It, It looms constantly before us. And we hope that there's a word today that speaks to it in some way and lessens the pain or the grief or the fragmentation. And others of us come with joy. There has been good in our lives lately, and you have shown yourself to be present and real and to respond to prayer. 
And we may even resonate with what the scripture talks about, streams of water, the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so from all these different places, help us to remember and to know and believe that we are all in the same boat in one important way. We're all more a mess than we care to admit. And you come and meet people with messy, broken, fragmented lives. And you don't say, go, find a solution. Here's my list. You say, I come to you with grace and forgiveness and healing for your broken soul. You say, we are more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever imagined. So help us with that kind of grace to be taught through these words this morning or this evening in a way that our lives might be changed. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Twitter. Anybody uh, on Twitter? Anybody have a Twitter profile? A few people sheepishly. There you are, yeah. So um, I, I'm a little bit of a fan of Twitter. I've got to admit, I haven't fully engaged with it. I've tried and failed at different times to learn more about it and understand it. One of my favorite parts, though, in trying to figure it out over the last year, and if you don't know what Twitter is, is it's basically, as somebody put it, it's, it's a new kind of uh, micro-blogging uh, site that simultaneously lowers the bar on what's worth sharing with everybody <laughs> while making it easier to do so. To, to the whole world. So that's, that's what Twitter is. Um, you can put out these little 140 character messages, right, 140? And it just goes to all your, kind of your friends and contacts. One of my favorite people that I follow on Twitter is, I don't know who it is, but their persona is called Why You Know. And it's, it's letter Y, and then the letter U, and then the word N-O, Why You Know. And it's a lot of just humorous stuff. Um, and it always starts with, with Why You Know um, when he tweets. So he says... Uh, Chuck Norris, why you know protect me from bear? <laughs> just a few, few examples. They're very strange and off the wall. A camera, why you know bring out my flaws? Why you know make me beautiful like webcam? Um, Yoda, use the force, why you know? Star Wars fans, anyone? No? Where's uh, another fun one here? Um, Lord of the Rings fans. Gollum, why you know let Smeagol be? have to read the books to get that one. Bart Simpson, why you know let me eat your shorts? Uh, uh, Halloween theme, zombie, why you know eat other zombies' brain? <laughs> just, hey, I'm, just, I'm not making it up myself, remember. These are not, it's not my Twitter contributions. Lay's, like the chips, Lay's, why you know think I can eat just one? <laughs> taste buds, taste buds, why you know believe it's not butter? So there you go, and on and on and on. Uh, I, think, I actually think the whole idea behind this series is that I think Jesus, if he came today, would use Twitter. And the reason I think that is because of how he teaches in the Bible. Because Twitter is all about condensing things in a way that might communicate quickly to a lot of people. And Jesus was the ultimate condenser. He was always trying to talk about the deepest, biggest, broadest realities of life and bring them down to just simple Everyday metaphors that everyone can understand. And so today as we look at this passage where Jesus is teaching about water, I want to talk about this um, in terms of how you know, Jesus today might bring this across and why it's important today to, um, to still think in terms of bringing the gospel down to simple truths, simple realities like water. Um, I think, first of all, Jesus... What Jesus does is, there's two points really, that Jesus tweets about 
being our water. Um, and secondly, Jesus tweets, or the tweets of Jesus force you to respond. Jesus tweets about being our water. I think he might go, if he was to start with this message today, he might start with talking about, as I already brought up, this festival called Burning Man, the end of the summer festival. It's a little bit of a, a Woodstock ethos, um, but modern day and out in a, not on a grassy you know, field, but in New England, but in a desert in the middle of Nevada, harsh conditions. And this year, it's always right at the end of August, this year for a week, 54,000 people showed up on the playa in Black Rock City and created out of nothing, out of just this, this barren landscape, a city for seven days and then cleaned it all up and left it exactly how it was before they got there. Now, if, I think if anything speaks to the reality of people being spiritually thirsty in today's world, it is, it is Burning Man. Um, and it is the idea of all these people going out to a place for some kind of experience, some kind of um, uh, reality, some kind of uh, marker in their year that will give them maybe who knows what. But everybody's seeking something different, and part of what I'm not supposed to do if I haven't been to Burning Man is describe what it is. They say if you haven't been there, you, or if you can describe it, you haven't been there. It's one of those kind of things. Um, so think, let's think about this. In the desert, normally, if you're in, if, or normally, if you're not in the desert, on a normal day, you need about two quarts of water a day. That's kind of what people say. Two quarts of water a day, the average human body. If you're in the desert, if you're in Burning Man, they suggest everyone has one and a half gallons of water a day. They suggest you carry it with you. And because Burning Man is, has one of, the, one of their mottos is, uh, how does it go? Uh, radical, forgot that first word, radical self-reliance. You have to bring all your water in. So you have to bring enough water for a whole week one and a half gallons a day to bring that in for each person and carry water with you at all times. And this is why water is so important. Let me just read something here uh, from another website. How, how, why is water so important? What happens when you don't have water? In the first stages of dehydration, an individual may not experience any significant symptoms. But as it continues, uh, they will feel thirst set in and their mouth go dry. If it intensifies, they feel the thirst increase, saliva thicken, face flush, and skin wrinkles. Their headaches, their arms and legs cramp, their strength dwindles, and temperature or temperament sour. If the dehydration becomes severe, their tongue swells, eyes grow sunken and tearless, probably cracking and bleeding. Their stomach bloats. Hands and feet grow cold and moist. Major muscles contract severely and painfully. Blood pressure falls. And urination ceases. Their pulse rate becomes feeble and rapid. Feeble and rapid. Their consciousness fades. They may experience convulsions and heart failure. They face death without prompt and careful rehydration. That's just some of the realities of why water is so important. And so when Jesus stands up and says, I am, you know, anyone who's thirsty, come to me, and you'll have streams of living water flowing out in your life. He's basically asking us to grapple with our own spiritual dehydration. 
that we can look at ourselves and if we look hard enough and if we're willing to go there, which is in some ways half the battle, we'll see that spiritually speaking our pulse rate is becoming feeble and rapid and that our consciousness may be fading and we may be experiencing convulsions and heart failure and in some ways really spiritually speaking being on a road towards death. And there's all sorts of reasons why we get in this place. In a lot of ways, maybe you're experiencing it right now because the season of fall tends to bring on all the new rhythms and all the new things. And in just about this time, two months in, you're getting tired. (laughs) And you're starting to see all the different things and commitments pile up. And you can really resonate with the idea that you're spiritually dehydrated. And your body, your spiritual body, in a sense, is supposed to function better. And there's things going wrong. There's things going haywire spiritually. That if you trace it, if you go deep on it, if you grapple with it, you're spiritually dehydrated. Um, Now, our passage today has Jesus basically attending the original Burning Man Festival really does. He's at the the Feast of the Tabernacles, or the Feast of um, Sakut, it's called, or the word for huts or tabernacles. And um, I don't know if it was 54,000 people, uh, but it was a lot of people that would journey. And you could see, if you read a little before this, that Jesus' own family was urging him to, to journey with them from where they lived in Nazareth to Judea, where this festival was going to be. And at this festival people would basically do what they did at Burning Man. They'd have six days of camping. They had huts set up in orchards all around Jerusalem. Um, and then renowned scholar uh, of biblical studies, Raymond Brown, explained some of what went on at this Feast of Tabernacles for six days, seven days. He says, during uh, the feast, uh, there was a solemn, dramatized ceremony. Each of the seven mornings, a procession went down to the fountain of Gihon on the southeast side of the Temple Hill, the fountain which supplied the waters to the pool of Siloam. There, a priest filled a golden pitcher with water. As the choir repeated Isaiah 12, verse 3, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Uh, Then the procession went up to the temple through the water gate, and when they reached the altar of the holocaust in front of the temple, they proceeded around the altar, waving uh, like branches and singing a psalm. Then the priest came up, went up the ramp to the altar to pour the water into the silver funnel, into a silver funnel, whence it flowed into the ground. And on the seventh day, there was a sevenfold circumambulation of the altar. Circumambulation is a new word I learned this week. Walking around in circles in a ceremonial way. Isn't that amazing? Basically what you have here is that um, it is right on this last and final day with the seven repeated circling around the altar, the seventh day of doing the same thing, the climactic day, the greatest day of the feast, it says right here in our passage. Then Jesus stood and said in a loud voice to people who had just seen this for seven days and now the climactic procession. And he says, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Can you imagine how that that must have just struck everyone? How strange, probably most of all, 
that someone would dare to say something like this amidst the solemn ceremony. What he was getting at, I think, is well, uh, well let's see, do I have that? Yeah, I do. Is well, well reflected in the worship guide quote. Maybe I don't have it. There it is, right here. If you look at the worship guide on page four, the second quote says this. Gets us into the spirituality of Jesus being water, or water. The thirst for God is universal because we have been created with a longing for the Creator. This desire to know and be known by the one who made us and loves us is often ignored, denied, and finally buried under a, multiple, a, a multitude of pursuits and interests. But then, some event in life invites or forces us to pause, and the desire for God comes rushing back to our awareness. And once again, we know that real life is impossible without the companionship of the one who first gave us the gift of life and who sustains us even now. We know for certain that we need living water. We need what only God can give if we, if we are really to live. Um, and I think there are three base, or there's a few implications that I could go into just about what this means, living water. First is that the idea that, that a lot of us, as we hear the idea of Jesus being our living water, Jesus himself offering us his living water, he's, he's talking to those of us who have approached life with, first of all, radical self-reliance. Some of us have gone that approach in life. We know the plans. We have ideas for life. We take charge of things in life. We have a game plan. And if we pause, like that quote says, once in a while we pause, and if we're honest and we look deep, we can see that we are missing God. We're, we're just missing God amidst all the pursuits and the self-reliance. And there are signs of dehydration, if we're willing to admit it, that are worsening in our life. Another implication of what Jesus is saying is that some of us actually have gone a different approach. We've gone an approach of running in circles in the desert, around a, a pool of living water. This is the, the religious approach. This is the approach that ministers and people in ministry are most prone to going. And what ends up happening is that there's this thing that's called Jesus, living water, and uh, all the things about God that we're told that are true. And so we go and we run and we run and we run and we're running around getting thirstier and thirstier, and we're never stopping and noticing that we're actually running around a pool of water that is offered to us. And what we need to do is pause and stop running. I could have been told this over the last two or three weeks as we ran and scrambled for a new space. To pause and stop and realize the source of all things, the source of all the good life, is right there. Take a drink. Stop and receive water. And another, the third implication about Jesus being our water and Jesus talking about himself as water is that if Jesus is the water, then he's also the rock. In uh, 1 Corinthians 10, verse, uh, verse 4, the Apostle Paul is writing and he refers to the Old Testament Israel's journey through the desert. And he, when he talks about the rock and water coming from the rock, he says, and that rock was Jesus. So that the Israelites were already connected to Jesus in the desert. Jesus was that rock. And what I think this speaks to, Jesus also being not just the water but the rock, is that I think a lot of us approach God with the idea that we're going to have to get, we're going to have to take a blow. We're going to have to get, get beaten with a stick like the rock did. 
But if Jesus is the rock, then we have this assurance that it is the very, very end of Jesus' life when he took a blow, when he went to the cross, he was doing that on our behalf. So that the water, as uh, the book of Revelation says, right towards the end in verse 6 of chapter 21, so that the message to us can be, to the thirsty, I will give water without cost, without cost, without taking the blow, because Jesus did for you, without cost from the spring of the water of life. This is all good. This is a great message to have today because, you know, City Life Church, when we first started, the message was not, um, hey, we're the church for people who have their life together. We're the church, no, we're the church of people who are willing to be broken and people who know they are broken. To bring your mess and your fragmentation, be authentic, to approach God with confidence. Um, and I think that's basically what Jesus is saying, that Who's he talking about? He's talking about thirsty people. The people who can come to him are those who are thirsty. Not those who have their life together. <laughs> they are thirsty, but they don't know it. And now, if you have trouble grasping um, what it was like when Jesus stood up, I think it was very similar to how at the end of the Burning Man Festival, they, have, they erect a giant uh, sculpture of a man, and all the thousands of people circle around it in the dark, and they light it on fire, and they watch it burn. It's the burning of the man, Right? And that was, that's the one thing that the whole uh, festival started with and continues to have. It's the climactic point of that festival. Imagine someone somehow, as the, as the man is falling down and the charred remains are on the ground and everyone hasn't left yet, that somehow some one person stands up and has maybe giant screens that they're on and an amplification system, and everyone sees this one person saying, but I am the real burning man. <laughs> You know, I'm the man that you need, that you've come out to this desert for. It's very strange. This is the only, only I would come up with this kind of illustration. <laughs> but that is, it is exactly the kind of strangeness that Jesus engaged in when he stood at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles and stood up and said, I am that water that you just saw. I mean, what are you talking about? It's provocative, and we're not even given much more else after that. He just says that, and then we get actually... We get how people respond, because Jesus always forces a response. And so there's three verses, actually, of what we read that were kind of this, what he does and what he says, but then the whole rest of what we read is just everyone's different responses. Is he Messiah? Is he something special? I don't think so. People who are following him have a curse on them, and all this different back and forth. What do we learn from that? Uh, well, if you look at the temple guards... In verse 32, they were told to go and arrest Jesus. In verse 46, where we read, they said, the Pharisees said, why didn't you bring him in? And they say, no one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards replied. What happened was that when uh, the guards went and listened to Jesus, they did see sort of that behavior that you normally write off and say, okay, that person has a few screws loose because they're standing up saying, I am the water in the middle of this public thing. But as they looked closer and perhaps got ready to laugh and make fun of him, they saw in his eyes a sort of authority and a, a compassion mixed together as if he could see right through them and see right into their hurts and that he would approach them with all the love and grace and that he had the authority to enter in in such a way that he could be gracious to them. They saw something that led them to absolutely not approach him and arrest him as their orders were, as the authorities 
told them to do. It wasn't like he had big muscles or something. <laughs> they saw him in a way that was true, the way that people saw him when they took the time to listen to him. And they came back, they had switched their allegiance. In a subtle way, this text is saying that before I was taking orders from them, but when I saw his eyes, when I heard him talk, I knew I couldn't follow those orders anymore. There's a switch. And all it took was taking enough time listening and being with Jesus. Another one I want to point out as we close is Nicodemus, because he's highlighted at the end here saying, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? Nicodemus is sitting in the presence of all these skeptics. Everyone around him basically is saying no to Jesus, and Jesus is, is a fraud, and it's not the way to go, and it's just it's silliness. Whatever he's up to, we've got to kind of snuff it out and put it over here. He's surrounded by skeptics. Maybe you relate in life. This is Jesus, or, or this is Nicodemus. And, and what does he do? He brings up in the presence of skeptics the, the bravest thing and really the only thing you can bring up and that he can bring up is he just says, are you open to listening? In a lot of ways, that is the very beginning of a journey with Jesus. Are you willing to just listen and see what Jesus has been up to? See what it might be like to look into his eyes. See what he might be up to in groups of people who, who claim to follow him. Just take some time to soak it in and listen. It's about the bravest, it's the bravest thing. It's about the only thing you can, you can legitimately bring up in the presence of a lot of skeptics. And Nicodemus had actually already begun to listen to Jesus. We know from chapter 3, maybe if you know your Bible really well, you know that he had already come to Jesus in the night because he was a Pharisee and he didn't want to be seen and he came and he asked Jesus questions in the middle of the night. He was already listening, being puzzled by what Jesus said. And the guards had already started to listen to Jesus and they had already begun to be changed. And so ask yourself, have you begun to really stop and listen to Jesus? Just listen, just hear what he's been up to, hear what he's all about, hear what he might say to you. And if you do so, you might... I don't know, you might do one of these three things. You might begin to acknowledge that I am a mess, that I, have, that I do have spiritual dehydration at work in my life and I need help. Or you might realize in the process of looking at Jesus, he, he, he might have the ability to make you pause and stop the running around in circles in the desert around the living water. And might, you might actually drink. Um... Or you might, he might just, it might just be enough hearing him and listening to Jesus might be puzzling enough to begin praying about who Jesus is. Praying a prayer something like, God, just help me to understand who this Jesus is and what I'm supposed to, to gather from it. And perhaps through it, may I find some of that, that sense of satisfying water of your spirit in my soul. Let's pray for that right now. Gracious God, will you meet us? We need help even to stop being radically self-reliant or being just addicted to running in circles, chasing after you when you're just right there. We need your help. Even in just turning and taking a drink 
of the, the water that's offered freely. Would you help us? Each in the way we need help, making one step closer to you. Would you help us even as we move towards a time of communion, that that may be a part of how you bring us closer to you uh, on our journeys of faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.